God says how we are to come into His presence. We've seen that we're to lift up holy hands. That's how the men are, women, you know, without sin, but really lifting up and recognize we're in His presence. There needs to be obedience. God prescribes how we are to approach Him. And what we're going to see today is really the conduct of the church. How we are to be the house of God. Not just at Calvary Chapel, Hilo, but but every congregation that has come to meet with God. He prescribes in the Scripture how we're to meet with Him. Now one way that we do know in John 4, 24, that we are to again meet Him in spirit and truth. We are to worship Him in spirit and truth. That means that when you're singing, that means your spirit is connecting with Him. Do you know what that means? Let's make it in a very simple, practical way. My daughter lives on Maui. She used to live on the mainland for a while. My spirit is with my daughter. Do you know what I mean by that? If you have kids far away, you pray, you're connected, you love them, they know they love them. And it's that same way. You're connecting with something deeper than just the physical. That your spirit is united. A friend that you may have, a lifelong friend you haven't seen for years, but the moment you see him, there's that kindred spirit. You pick up like you've never, ever been apart. Our spirit connects. And that's more of our soul than our spirit. But see, it's our spirit that connects with God. It means that we need to come prepared to meet Him. In the Old Testament, when they would come to the temple, what was so important to understand is that they would come and they had to bring fresh, crushed olives. Anyone bring any today? See, that was for, that was for burning the candles. That was the oil. The oil represented, again, the Holy Spirit. In a like sense today, because more is revealed in the Scripture, we too are to come prepared. Last night, at the dinner table even, I was praying for you. Praying for everyone that would come. That that we would come prepared to meet and hear with God. It means for you that you need to pre- prepare your heart. You know, yesterday and this morning and every time, and God removed those distractions away because it's You, Lord. You alone I want to see. It's You alone that I want to hear. And Father, that is our desire today is really to hear from You, God. To hear from Your Son, Jesus Christ. To hear the Word. To understand the Word. To heed the Word. God, remove the distractions. Remove the hindrances in our life that would prevent us from hearing or uh, yielding to the Word, Lord. If there's sin in our life, and we know that it's that iniquity that separates us in fellowship, Lord, reveal that to us this morning that we can confess that sin, that nothing would be between us. Lord, we want that intimacy that intimacy that You want with us. We want You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Women, to you again. How would you feel if you're in the kitchen, you're in the dining room, you're in the garden, it really does not matter, and your husband come up to you and just said. I love you so much. How would you feel? Wouldn't you put a smile on your face? Wouldn't you be excited? How much more your Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ desires to hear you tell Him how much you love Him. That's the intimacy I'm talking about. Guys, if you would say that to your wives, 
I think they would hang on to all those words that follow for a while till you stick your foot in your mouth. You know how that works, I know. But He desires to hear from you. He desires you and me to hear His Word. Now we've been looking here at Timothy, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 16, and you say, how long could Bron possibly talk on three verses? Uh, I'll try and keep it in the time I'm looking up there. But these are a wealth of things. See, Paul has been teaching, again, when we came to 1 Timothy, he taught us about elders. He taught us about deacons. How they are to lead the church. How an elder is the spiritual leader. The deacon, he does those practical issues. How a church is to, to function. And what are their duties? And what are their qualifications? And how do you discipline people? We've seen that here in, in the book of Timothy too. But Paul now gives some further reasons why he's writing that letter and look with me in verse 14 in our text he says i'm writing these things hoping to come to you before long but in case i'm delayed i write so that you will know how you ought to conduct himself in the household of god which is the church of the living god the pillar the support of truth and by common confession great is the mystery of godliness and he who is revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed in the world, and taken up to glory. Stop there. Give me your attention. Next is salvation. And becoming a disciple. I think this is probably one of the most important texts in the Bible. Notice again in this verse, I'll just lift a few things out and then we'll get into our text, but I really want you to, to see this. He says again in verse 14, in the, or 15, excuse me, he says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. This is the church of the living God. We don't worship a God in stone or wood, but a living God. He's living and active. His Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. When you choose to hear Him, when you choose to bring your family to the Lord and they hear them, there is a change, a transformation in their lives, in your lives. We do not worship an idol. A God that knows every thought that's going through your mind Right now, 24 hours a day, and every person around the world, don't have me explain that, because I can't explain that. But he knows. Have you ever just struggled with something in your mind, in your heart? And you begin to talk to God, you begin to think, well, how am I going to say it? And, and have him just really impress on your heart. He knows. He understands. He brings a scripture to your mind that is so clear. Uh, maybe a song that, that is what you've been praying about. He is living. He is active. And we are the church of the living God. Now what makes this message so important, this text, and I pray that you'll go back and read it and study it and think about it again. What makes it so special as it continues in there that the church, the church of the living God is the pillar and the support of the truth. Now just cutting to the chase, and then we'll jump into the message for sure now, is that means we have been given this responsibility, or we've been entrusted with this. Who God is. Just as Israel was to be a light on the hill, we're to be a light on the hill. Just as they were to be the salt of the earth, we are to be the salt of the earth. If the church is this pillar that he says, the pillar, the support of the truth, this means that we are to reach the next generation. If the church, please understand this, if the church is not, and sadly, the church as a whole is not, the church goes into apostasy. That does not mean every church. In fact, next week we're going to begin that. 
1 Timothy 4, you can read the apostasy of falling away from the truth. If we're not holding up the truth, the pillar to hold it up, there's a whole generation lost. The Antichrist is on the way. This is what makes this text so important. That we're speaking to this God who is a living, active God that will empower you to be that pillar, that support of the truth if you choose. And if you don't, you suffer the consequences. Not you alone, but your family, your friends. Well, look with me in verse 14 as we jump into the text. Paul simply says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I'm delayed. Now, Paul, you know, he says, I'm writing these things, points to two reasons that we're going to see in the text why he's writing this. His desire, though, is to come and stand with those in Ephesus. If you remember, he's left Timothy here, and Timothy's to instruct them to raise up and appoint elders and deacons and show them how to function. It's about holiness. We are serving a holy God. We are standing in His holy presence. And we are to take that as, as He was taking here, our brother, seriously what He has done. And we are to bring this to the world. This is going to determine whether we're faithful and true or we're not. It may for some reveal that they're really not believers or they're true believers, how they respond. See, the apostle first recognizes there's this possibility of delay. Have you ever made plans to go and do something and all of a sudden things just change on you? It's not what you had really planned. I got my bullet list. I'm going to do ten things. And all of a sudden it just stops at number two, number three. In hindsight, I look back. God. This was a divine appointment. Thank you. Thank you. We make all kinds of plans, but it's God that directs our steps. And that's important. And, and Paul recognizes that. And James talks about something like that. Again, that if the Lord wills, I'll do this, I'll do that. And that's really a good thought. These are my plans, but Lord, I'm going to commit my plans to you. Nevertheless, your will, not mine. But sometimes we go, my will, not yours, Lord. I know, not you guys, the other church down the street, right? No, we all struggle with that in, in our own way because we have our agendas. Can we be honest? How many have agenda? Maybe you don't have a bullet list, but you've got to get this done, and when this is done, you do this. The thing is, we are to put these things aside. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and He will add all things. He will direct you in your steps. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me daily. You're encouraged by these words, aren't you? Because it, 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 it means I have to deny myself. I have to to put him first. Well, if he's the Lord of my life, that's what it's going to look like. And Paul understands that very well. He knows there's possibly an opportunity that he won't be there when he expects to and when he wants to be. And yes, it's his desire. But sometimes God does these because these little interruptions that are scheduled because they're times of protection. There are times, again, of preparation for something is going to occur down the road or it's just not the right time for, for you to move into this situation. The right people aren't there. And you and I cannot understand these things. But God does. He's all-knowing. But it's Paul's hope, his inner desire to be here. But nevertheless, God's will, not his own. So he gives this reason in verse 15b. It says, I write so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourselves. Now, different translations worded a little different, but he's basically cutting to the chase. Paul's simply saying, you know, you need to understand 
know and understand why I'm writing this letter. It's how we are to function in the body of Christ. It's how we are to act when we come to meet with God. This is what's important. Not just when we meet with God here, but when we go into the community. This is very, very important. This is about sanctification, being set apart. But it's also recognizing you're in the presence of God 24 hours a day. And if you want to please Him, you need to have this awareness of Him there. That He's there. And you can have that awareness with Him. Knowing that He's with you. Knowing that He's speaking to you in each and every circumstance you go through. If you say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. God, why am I here? What do you want me to see? It means... You need, again, to respond because he's already initiated. He's initiated this situation. It's a change in situation. Why am I here? What would you have me see? And wait. And follow. It's interesting as he goes on how you ought to conduct yourself. It's really important. It's more than just a necessity. It is a must. This is how you are to act. Not just the administrative leaders, the elders, and and those that are deacons. No, no. But it's how everyone is to act because you are the household of God. What does that make us here? It makes us family. You're my sister. You're my brother and vice versa. And if you are truly a believer, guess what? All eternity, isn't that awesome? There's not going to be a world like this. It's going to be exceedingly abundantly more than you and I could ever imagine. So when he uses this word odd, he's, it, it, it's a must. It's a sense of duty. Now, stop and think. I'm, I'm going to have them put up on the screen Matthew 6. Verses 9-13, through 13. many of you may know the Lord's Prayer. Some call it the Disciples' Prayer. I'm going to read through it, comment briefly, and then we're going to kind of move on. But this is important to understand. Pray then in this way. He's teaching his disciples. They ask, how should we pray? And he says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice how prayer is to be directed. To our Father who is in heaven. It doesn't mean you can't direct it to Jesus because we see other examples of that. We must remember where our prayers are being directed to. His ways are higher than our ways, and we must remember that. Notice again that next part Hallowed be thy name. It means to be set apart, and it speaks of holiness. Remember that when you and I pray, He is a holy God. And when we are in His presence, we are standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever it may be, in the presence of a holy God. And we should never, ever take anything flippant when you're standing in the presence of God. He's not the man upstairs. And so often people flippantly talk about God. He is the God who created the heaven and the earth. Jesus, the second person of God, spoke all things into existence. Notice again, verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer should be to see just as it is in heaven here on earth. A world without any sin. A world of love, compassion, kindness, forgiveness. Much different than it is here, isn't it? A world full of bitterness, anger, drugs, and the list goes on. We'll see this next week. Give us this daily bread. Not our retirement fund. That's not 
anything wrong with having a retirement fund. But you know what? To look to Him our daily existence. He knows what you need this day. I don't always know what I need this day. I may need a double portion of grace here. I may need uh, some wisdom here. Maybe a gift of knowledge here. A gift of helps. Give us the daily need. Whatever it is, whether it be bread or whatever. Focus upon the day, the moment. This may be the very last day you're on earth. You may have many more, but live in such a way that this may be the last moment that you ever can share with a friend, love a friend, talk to a friend. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, that one needs to be scratched out of some Bibles. Because some people just walk in unforgiveness and they don't want to forgive anybody. And they are the most miserable people I've ever met in life. Because that bitterness destroys you. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I'm not saying you have to read this prayer and cite this prayer and quote this prayer. But these are great points to remember when you're praying. It's just to be a model how some of the things to be incorporated in. Lord, protect me from the temptation. Anyone gets tempted? No, don't even hold your hands up. We all are confronted with temptations every day. Temptation to yell and get angry at somebody who's just stopped quick and, and you know, almost reared in them and the groceries flew, flew everywhere. On and on the list goes. Temptation of evil. No way. We need to pray, God, protect me. Make my heart sensitive to You. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, we're kingdom kids. Even though we're not in heaven, even though the kingdom is not complete here, we need to walk in this life as we are kingdom kids. When people see our lives, they should see the King. The King of kings. Look with me in verse... 15, the B part, it says, in the house of God, which is the church of living God. Now, it's important to understand that it's the place where God dwells. Where does God dwell? Inside our hearts. This is the temple of God. He's dwelling in each of our hearts, and may the kingdom of God rule in our hearts. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is in everyone's heart. Again, we don't understand these things, yet we see the evidence of it when we meet other brothers and sisters, that kindred spirit. We see how they're being led and prompted, even speaking a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom in a very natural way, exactly what we're praying about. How could they know that? People have often said, well, how did you know that this was happening in my house? I didn't know. I pray that God will speak through me. Pray that God will speak through you. Understand, we are the household of God. And, and the supernatural in that sense, we're not chasing after signs and wonders. And I'm not even talking about signs and wonders. But the very God of all creation lives in you, His Spirit. There should be a different outward action than sometimes it's seen in those who profess to be believers. We should walk as He walks. We should do the things that He does. All believers are children of God and they're in the church family. It's a ohana. And God, think about this, is your personal Father. You know, there's a lot of kids that do not have a father in their home. Isn't that kind of sad? But I knew a girl, gal that wrote a book and she described how God revealed to her that I am your father. I will show you how a father is to be. She no longer looked to other men and older men to try and find a, a father in And she learned to look at the father in heaven because she had a relationship with him. So he's our father. 
little kids in Israel and in in West Bank and different places, they cry out. It's the cutest thing. Abba, Abba, Father. It is so cute to hear them say that. And my friend, he prays like that. He went and saw that in Israel. And he said, man, I'm to come like a, a child. I need to pray like a child. I need to think like a child in so many ways. It's so precious to pray with them because when kids pray, there's no purer prayer than the prayer of a kid's. We get together, we pray together, we start sounding like other, each other, acting like each other, but a child prays. We need to come to Him like little children. We need to recognize He is God. Just as you saw your father, mother, and in a sense they were on a pedestal, He is far above your mom and dad. He's only given us a glimpse of what He is like as He reveals Himself. Well, Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Isn't that awesome? You know what's awesome is a father and brother and sister. We have a personal God. Not a God of stone. Not of wood. A real God. We have a family. And I love this. In the Scripture, it's very clear in Galatians. I don't know if I pulled this, haven't pulled it up or not, but bottom line is that whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, and here it's neither Japanese or Haole or Filipino or Hawaiian or whatever, we're one. Same God, same family. And that's awesome. There's no distinction between those. We're just family. We need to see that. In Galatians 6.10, it says this, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. This is where our service starts, is with God and then with one another, the household of faith. There's ministry going out in the streets and feeding homeless, and while there's a need there, but you know where it starts first? With the family of God. If you neglect your own family in the body of Christ, you're not much better than an unbeliever in the street. This is where it starts. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints in our God's household. Any saints here today? Look, come on, let's, let's see where we're at. Any saints? If you are a believer, you're a saint. You know what that word means? Just simply, you're set apart to God. If you're a believer, your life is to be set apart to God. You're being sanctified. That's where the word comes from, being sanctified. It's the second stage of salvation. You're saved the moment you believe and trust in God. That's what the Scripture says. It's what we call the three tenses of salvation. You're saved and you're being saved. That's what we call sanctification. You're being made holy. Now, recognize here there is no perfect people. You didn't know, oh, I'm sorry, you are, but no. There's no perfect people. There are imperfect people being made perfect in Christ. We are all His workmanship. We are saints set apart, being made holy. And we are God's household. Now the punchline is, we need to act like saints. I'm not saying perfect, but like we're attached to Christ. This is what he's saying. It's really about the conduct, how we act. Not get mad, not get angry, not have pity parties, but go out of our way for our family, minister to our family. Notice with me again in verse 15, we see it's the church of the living God. Now, the word, again, church here, it, it, it's ecclesia. They pronounce it several different ways, but it's a called out group. Ek meaning out. And the ecclesia means, again, a calling. When God has called you, He's called you out of the world and He's called you to Himself. That's a personal call. It's an intimate call. It's not just to the whole world. Yes, He's died for the whole world. But when He calls us, He has been knocking on your door. He's been the one initiating. In those countries where the Gospel cannot be preached, 
he goes and reveals himself in visions and dreams. He makes that personal, intimate call to every person based upon their response, determines whether they're saved or not saved, and it's a choice, a free will choice they have. The church, though, while in the world, we're called out of the world. Our lives are to look different. This is how we to live as saints. We no longer have to walk in bondage. We now have a choice whether we're going to give our bodies as a holy sacrifice to God. It's our reasonable, as Romans says, our reasonable service of worship. The highest form of worship is being obedient, giving ourselves completely to God. Here I am, God. Maybe you've heard the illustration of a little boy giving an offering. And this particular church passed a, an offering around. The little boy wanted to give. So he just laid the offering plate down and he stood in it. He wanted to give himself. And that's what we should want to do is, Lord, I, I don't have much, but I give you myself. Is there any greater gift Ladies, of your husband giving himself to you or your daughter giving yourself to, to you or uh, vice versa. God wants you. And He knows you. And He died for you while you're in your worst. Your worst, ladies. I heard a guy tell an illustration. I'm not going to be able to do it exactly the way it is, but he describes, you know, talking to about his wife's you know, her worst was that she was up in curlers in her hair and she had a chocolate bonbon and it's kind of running out of her mouth. And you know how you would never want to be seen that way. And, and yet, that's the worst. No, if that's the worst, that's pretty good. Because you know what's going on in our minds and our hearts. You know the sin and that's what keeps people from Him. Is there sin? And He says, come to Me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. In fact, we just got our letters in, and hopefully they'll go in this week and it'll go all the way around here. Jesus said, Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Heavy laden of what? Sin. The burden of sin. Like an albatross around your head. Again. He's given us a new life. That life is in Christ. And we no longer have to be conformed to, the, to this world and the ways of the world. 1 Corinthians, though, says this, 16.13, Be alert, stand in the faith, and act like men. And be strong. We, we need to be alert. We need to stand firm. We need to act like men. Men being standing firm in Christ and be strong. Again, in Matthew 16, 16 through 18, it says this, and Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bajona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Because the church we're going to see is the pillar. The foundation of the truth. Ephesians 1.22 and 23 says this, and He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him head over all things, which is His body and the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Well, look with me. Really, the mission of the church. That's why God saves you because He loves you. He set His love upon you. But we have a mission. Anyone on a mission? Every hand should go up. We have a mission. This is what he says the mission is. Verse 15, the pillar and the support of the truth. The pillar and the support of the truth. The, the pillar and the support of the truth is, is a church did not originate, again, please understand, redemptive faith on its own, but she must sustain this truth. See, God has established this, but we have this responsibility of sustaining the truth in this world. That when people see you and me, they see the truth. Who God is, that He is a real God, He's a living God, He's a holy God, He's a righteous God, He's a forgiving God. This is what the world needs to see. The truth is centered upon the person of Christ. That means our lives is to be centered around Him, around His work, and that He gave birth to the church. The church never gave birth 
to Christ. Sadly, there is a church that says they gave birth to Christ. No. Here Paul uses two architectural metaphors as he describes to us. Notice first, the the church is a, a pillar. The temple of Artemis. You look at it, and if you saw this temple, it has 178 pillars holding up the roof. And likewise, he's using this illustration, we are all pillars holding up the truth. And when you see this temple, it, obviously it's, a, uh, it's not the original one, but showing us what it looks like by based everything they have. Our lives are to, to be so spectacular, up on a hill where everyone can see, here is truth, and this truth is Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No way the Father, but through Him. That they see us leaning completely upon Him, trusting completely upon Him, looking to Him for every need that we have in our lives. This is what's going to make us the pillar again of this truth, holding up true value. He's going to show us what's really important here. So there's a hundred, excuse me, 127 pillars. They're marble studded with jewels, overlaid with gold. And it was massive. It's interesting, the the church of the living believers, the corporate oneness, this mystical universal church around, is responsible for this truth to be seen in this world. That's that's our responsibility. In fact, in Revelation 3.12, a genuine believer is an overcomer. And this he's promised... Again, that he'd be a pillar in the church. Now, obviously, we're not going to be a marble pillar, but it's going to show that we stood for the truth, that he knows that you were faithful, that we had a responsibility and we were faithful and true. And because we stood together as oneness, this temple stood, this next generation is reached. Well, again, the church is what upholds God's truth in this world. The pastor is to preach the truth, the whole truth, and... You got that? Now, if the pastor is to preach that, that's what you are to understand. And these are the same principles that you are to share. Notice again, the second point I want to call your attention is to support the ground. It's the firm foundation. It's what we build our house upon the truth of who Jesus Christ is. There is no other foundation. Nothing is secure. And the world needs to see that. They need to see there's something different. Look with me in Colossians on the screen. verse Chapter 1, verse 21 and 23. Notice what it says. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Oh, by the way, that's us. Okay. Yet, He also reconciled you in His fleshly body through the death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which is proclaimed to all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Notice it's proclaimed to everyone. That means God has a means of getting it out even in spite of you and me. Yet we are the pillar of the truth, the foundation. See, the church is given this responsibility to both be the protector and the propagator of of truth. The church is the pillar. It's the protector of the gospel. These are things that are vanishing from the churches today because it's about a lot of different things other than Jesus Christ. Sadly, many look like uh, they're looking to something like the YMCA. Most of us know the YMCA. When it started, it, it had a good foundation. It was to reach people for Christ. But sadly, today's main business is not to proclaim the truth become more of a recreational center, an entertainment center, and churches have become 
much like that. They're, again, recreational centers, entertainment centers. It's not wrong to have recreation. It's not wrong, again, to have entertainment. But it's here that the truth is preached. Nothing but the truth is to be preached right here. Proclaimed here. Taught here. Sent out with the truth of God's Word that we would be the pillar. The stability, the foundation of that truth. Yet on the other hand, there's another group that chooses not to have communion and membership with any church because they're the only ones in their mind that's right or they don't need fellowship. They carelessly roam from church to church without ever making a lasting commitment. And commitment is very important. Please understand that. These people are nomads. It means they say no, they get mad, they leave, and they leave this nomadic style, and this does more harm to the church than anything else right now. Because if you lead someone to church, you have to be able to have a church that you can trust in, where you know the truth is being taught, that you can bring the people in, and they can hear the truth, be discipled with the truth, and sent out with the truth, and that's so important. It's these unfaithful Christians who are weakening the very foundation of the truth. Notice with me in verse 16 the nature of the truth. It's the common confession. The great is the mystery of godliness. And King James uses the word without controversy or the NASB. Again, we see without uh, again, it's the common confession. It basically means in agreement. There's agreement. And, and as I describe this temple, this magnificent temple, and I encourage you to go and look at it, and I'll, I'll bring a picture next week if you don't, and I'll get it figured out how to get it up here. But the thing is, it's so magnificent to see. This is what the world needs to see, though, the truth, the pillar. It was there, though, that it's interesting when Paul was preaching the truth, a riot broke out and they would scream for hours, great as Artemis, Diana of the Ephesians. This is where he's pulling these words for this, this, this same words. Just as they were so passionate about their God, who was a little God, that all the guys were making him in town and was hurting their business. We need to be passionate about our God, who is the true and living God, living in each of our hearts. The mystery of godliness is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and his relationship really to the people. Let me show you in Ephesians 5.30 and 32. Because we are members of his body. And verse 32 says this, the mystery is great, but I'm speaking of the reference to Christ and the church. Christ is in your heart, my heart. We're bonded together. We have this kindred spirit that we want to see Again, Jesus Christ exalted. The truth of who He is. The mystery involves a, that recognition of who God is, what He's done, His position, again, His identification. In that, that positional, again, identification with us, that, that He died for us. We, we've died with Him. We've been raised with Him in the newness of life in a picture of communion baptism, all of them tie together what He's done. And it's so important to understand that He's still at work today in our lives. I like what John F. Wolverd wrote. The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the center fact of all Christianity. Upon the whole superstructure of Christianity is the theology. This is what it's based upon. Is Jesus Christ who He is? He's the truth. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Philippians 2.8 says this, Being found in the appearance of man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of cross for you and me. But what amazes me, and they're going to pull up 1 John one. And I'm going to paraphrase this. It's important to understand that John, the disciple, the one who loved Jesus Christ, the beloved disciple, laid his head upon his bosom, teaching again. And there were Gnostics in the world. You had to know. You had to have our books to really know. You couldn't know God. And he says, look, look again at verse 1. He says, now from the beginning, what we've heard, what we've seen, what 
with our eyes and what we have looked at, touched with our hands, concerning, hey, we've seen him, we've felt him, he's not a ghost, he's not a phantom. This is the truth. And let me ask you a question. Have you seen Jesus Christ? Maybe not physically. Have you seen someone in the gutter saved and changed and transformed? Then married and having kids and even adopting kids? A whole life radically changed? I've seen a guy that was in prison, a heroin addict, and God removed every mark on his body. Put him into ministry as a, a pastor. Went back into again to the prison and, and shared with people. Taught in the church when the pastor was gone. His marriage was healed. And again, again, you see Jesus in changed lives. And that's what's important. And he says, we've seen him. Isaiah 61.1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news of the afflicted. And he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty and the captives and freedom, the prisoners. And, and we're seeing that His Spirit is being vindicated. How? The, by showing and lifting Him up and raising Him up, but also the work that's coming through His life. And this is important to understand. He had an earthly ministry. He showed that He was anointed by the Father. Jesus laid aside, we saw earlier, His, his power. He lived in this life as a man. He was fully God, fully man. But He was reliant upon the Holy Spirit. He was showing you and me how you and I are to live in this life. And it's important to understand. And Acts 10.38 says this, and you know Jesus and Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and power and how He went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed with the devil, for God was with them. So the question is, is God with you? When we look in the Old Testament, God was with Joseph. I believe that God's with me. I believe that His hand has protected me from many things and guiding me. And the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. Well, he's also seen by angels. Look here. Again, that, that idea, he's seen. And, and these things are pointed to who he is. These are things that we should know in our own words. Angels were active, evolved in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Gabriel announced to Mary the birth again. Again, the angels were at the birth of the shepherds announcing to the shepherds. They ministered to Jesus in Luke 4 and Matthew 4 again after that temptation, after he was hungry and administered to him. They strengthened him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They declared the resurrection to the women that were at the tomb. They explained the ascension when he was caught up to be with heaven. The angels are ministering spirits to man and they're ministering to you and me. And you may have an angel intervene in your life and be there when you need them. And you may never ever see them, but they're still there actively protecting you and guarding you because Hebrews says they are created to be ministering spirits for you and me. He's proclaimed by the nations. The word nations is ethos. It means, again, everywhere. Gentiles, all creation, not just Gentiles, but everyone. Believed in the world. Again, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving a full acceptance. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners, among whom I was foremost. He's believed in the world. Paul believed in him. In fact, in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Do you believe the gospel is the power of God to salvation? It can save you? If you do it will determine how you live this life. Right doctrine will always lead you to right living. If you're struggling in certain areas, then you are not taking in the doctrine. You're not letting it be manifested in your life. Notice with me again, he's taken up in glory. These acts, again, take us from heaven to earth, and earth back to heaven, and both from earth and heaven, and it's ever changed all of us before us. Now what we have to recognize, we are the body of Christ, the pillar and the support of truth. We ought to know how to conduct ourselves, not only here, but in a world of unbelievers that does not know you, does not know Jesus Christ. 
It should baffle them when they see us and want to know what we know. We ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God. This is what it reveals here. How the importance of it. It's a must. And this is the church of the living God. And every one of us as believers should know the fact that great is the mystery of godliness. and It should be a common confession for all of us. The early church, they would, they would cite certain you know, things about Christ and, and they would repeat it back and forth. It's more than repeating it. It's living it out. If you believe He's all-powerful God and nothing's too difficult, then you're not going to worry and fret. Now, I'm going to confess, I have worried and fretted and the Holy Spirit's convicted me. What are you worrying and fretting about if I am all-powerful? He will stop you. He will show you. You can confess and you can repent. We know, again, that He was revealed in the flesh. He, he, he was manifest in the flesh. He was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, and taken up to glory. And as you and I work with new believers, or people just who under your spiritual influence, be sure, this is very important, to get close enough so they can see the Word that you preach really works. It's not enough just to say it. It's not enough to read it. If you believe it, it will be seen in your life. Father, thank You for this Word. Thank You for such an important message. Remind us how we are to conduct ourselves, whether it's here in this congregation or we're in the world. How important our actions are. The world needs to see the truth. You've appointed that, that we would be this pillar, this foundation, this, we hold up this truth. We know the importance of it, that unless we do it, it will affect this next generation. God, give us the strength and give us the grace to do what you've called us to do. And all God's people said, Amen.